Hello. So I'm back again today, and this time with a, a good pal called Dan Rubin. Um, one of the few people I've met who's actually got a beard more resplendent than mine in his heyday. <laughs> and that's a big compliment, Dan, because I, I like my beard. So um, we've known each other for perhaps two or three years, and we've talked online more than anything, but we get on great. So without further ado, Dan, how do you feel today? Hello, Gareth. Uh, I, I feel pretty good today. Um, which, uh, as those words leave my mouth, I've, I've oddly felt slightly guilty for saying it, um, which is I've got to I've got to think about that. But I, I'm I'm always I'm always happy when I I have a good morning. But I also know I also know why. I don't think I don't think it's it's a problem to say that we've been chatting for about an hour at this point before everyone is listening to this conversation, and that's that's one of the reasons that I that I. I know I feel good today uh, having a conversation with someone who you, like you can fire off ideas with, but also something I've, I've learned about myself is that I feel a lot better on any given day when I have something scheduled that I know I need, like, because everything I do tends to be something I really want to do. So uh, let's just assume for a minute that I mean something I'm looking forward to scheduled because that's most of them. I'm not talking about, you know, having a root canal. Um, <laughs> I probably wouldn't wake up feeling really joyous if that was my, my 9am, but, but it, it, it's affected. It's, it, it's affected and continues to affect the way I try to balance my life is that, while it's appealing to have a day that when there's nothing scheduled and nothing on and nothing, there's never nothing to do as we know, but if I have somewhere I need to be or someone I'm looking forward to speaking with or some event I'm going to, or with the music that I do, if I've got a rehearsal or if I've got a gig or any, any, any of those things, or I'm meeting a friend for coffee or I'm, or I know that it's going to be a nice morning and I'm going to get up, and go out with my camera at sunrise or any of those things, right? I, there's a whole long never ending list really, because I, I'll never run out of it. Even if it's most mornings, I wake up looking forward to making my coffee and having something that is that little nugget of I'm going to do this, uh, or even having an answer to what if I don't wake up feeling great, which my answer is uh, go for a run which is a very recent thing, even though I've been running for years, uh, I've never been a morning person. And I don't like going for runs in the morning, even though all my races that I do are early morning. So that makes no sense. But only late last year did I finally click, oh, if I wake up with my heart rate kind of elevated and I'm anxious, that that's my body telling me I need to put the shoes on, get out the door and run because in, in a minute, I will feel joyous. So having something to do uh, yeah, makes me makes me happy. <laughs> I think that's great, Dan. And I, I've struggled. Well, struggle is too strong a word, but I've lived for too long, <laughs> you know, in, in in living in the opposite way to what you've just described. And what I've realised though is that neither extreme suits me. So I'm kind of now trying to block mornings and afternoons with an intent to do a certain type of thing within that. Mm. but leaving it loose enough that I can see how I feel on the day as well. 
Um, but I'll let you know how that goes because <laughs> it's an experiment at the moment. Well, I feel like that describes most of my days prior to 13, 13 years ago. Yeah, prior to when I started living between countries and then leaving the US and moving to the UK because my life prior to that point was I was a designer and a, a hobbyist musician, which I'm still a hobbyist musician, but if, imagine a hobby that takes up so much time that it's basically a second job that you don't get paid for. And I, my brother and I ran our, our agency and we both worked from home respectively. So we didn't have to leave and go to the office and our projects were as design projects tend to be fairly long-term. So you don't have deadlines every day. You don't have meetings every day. Most days you have to like think about stuff and then get things done based on what you've been thinking about. And I, and I loved it. I, I loved that. My, my schedule would be rehearsals for the chorus I directed once, uh, once a week in the evenings, uh, events, whether it was, uh, performances in the music side or, or conferences that in the performances would all be, mostly be weekends dotted throughout the year. And then conferences would be weeks dotted throughout the year. So you had just enough motivation on the calendar that you knew, well, this week is, is it's good to, to just have some, some brain time every day and I'll get as much done as I can because next week it'll just be crazy and hectic. And there was a certain ebb and flow that I feel I've always had, I can think back to my teens having a similar kind of balance where there's enough going on that you're always juggling, but you're never juggling. You don't feel like you're juggling too much. It's all within your capabilities. And the, the last 10 years of my life have looked very different. And a lot of that's intentional, but I, but I wouldn't say that, I, that, that it's as good on overall Right, so I've had to find these these different little motivators every day because my days. One, there's a, there's a big benefit of 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 routine, and I haven't had a routine in years. In that way, I've had a different routine, but not an everyday routine. There's a there's a reliability in that that is good for your headspace. I think when what you need to do is spend time thinking. When you need to, as you said, have have a loose framework that gives you time to think. And I go through periods of time where I'm doing that. A year ago, I spent five weeks in uh, in Vienna at the beginning of the year, one of my favorite places, but also just a place I feel very calm and relaxed uh, as, a, as a city. Anyone who's listening or hasn't been there, go there. It, it, it'll probably have the same effect. It's just I think it, that city has been designed to be calm and relaxing. Um, or maybe it's just that way for me. But in any case, I was there and I'd, I'd set my, because I was there and not traveling elsewhere for, for that chunk of time, which is not normal for me at the minute, I was able to get myself into a morning routine. And just that morning routine of waking up, having a coffee, reading for an hour or so, doing yoga, listening to some music and doing all of that before, like really establishing, like kind of massaging my headspace, if we should, if we can say that, to just go, yep, you're, now, whatever you do after this, you're in the right place to, to do it. it was a great rhythm to get into. And I travel a lot and I switch contexts a lot. And, and it's, it, it, it can be more difficult to, to find that kind of rhythm, a more calm rhythm when the pace is such that you're going, going, going. And yet I enjoy that in a different way. So my like I said, it was only late last year that I realized, even though I've been running since 2015, it took me until last autumn 
to realize that if I wake up stressed and anxious, the idea is just to run then rather than do evening runs or late day runs like I've always done. Uh, so I'm still I'm still very much learning how to uh, how to create different mini rhythms and routines, which I, I believe I believe is possible because I've done it. But um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. So that's that more. Going. So that's more. Listen, well, it's more. It's basically. It sounds as if it's more listening to your what your your body is telling you and you and and trying both things and eventually that'll probably settle at a point which is bespoke, isn't it? Hmm. That's what exactly. I hope for myself, anyway, <laughs> and for you, I've, Dan. <laughs> I've also I've also accepted a long time ago that the things that I'm drawn to. Because of them being so varied, um, mean that it's likely it's more likely that I will always be figuring out what balance looks like at any given time. Which is how I've often described balance to people when when I I am having conversations with friends or just you know, gently, casually mentoring people through whatever difficulties they're struggling with, especially creatives, when they feel frustrated that they are having trouble finding balance, because I always feel like that treats balance. That's imagining that balance is a fixed point, that once you find it, it it's that the job's done. And I, and that's not what balance is. If you're, if you're on a balance board, if you're standing on one leg, if you're, you're literally spinning a plate on a stick, it's constant movement. And that's what balance is. And that's what humans are too. We're not good when we're still, we're good when there's constant movement. Proper balance is also, also looks from a distance, a lot like stillness, I think. But I, I know that not everyone's life can be like that. Right. So even myself finding, finding the version of balance in any, in any situation that, that otherwise would seem imbalanced, that can be a small moment. Like for me, making my coffee, grinding my beans in the morning, which I could very easily say, no, I'm just going to get those beans ground for AeroPress rather than carry around a hand grinder and go through that extra two minutes every morning to hand grind those beans. But I love that process. I love that moment where as a few minutes after I've woken up, I can't do physically anything other than hold the grinder in one hand and rotate the handle with the other. I can't look at my phone. I usually will put the radio on, like the BBC World Service radio through my iPad. And and then I'm listening. My brain is getting warmed up, but something that doesn't have to do with work, doesn't have to do with anything specific. I'm letting things come in that I don't have to care about while I'm doing this physical action. It's much like yoga. Like yoga is the same thing you have, and running is the same thing, right? These physical actions that are repetitive enough and formulaic enough that you have to focus on doing them and then your brain you have to you have to get good at letting your brain go wherever it it goes you know it's, it's the little moments of meditation which for me are difficult like sitting still the sitting still version of meditation where you're just quiet and in your body is really tough for me i'm a jittery agitated need to move i can't if i'm on the phone i pace I walk when I'm on the phone. I'm a kinetic thinker. Uh, sitting down, I know I'm sitting down for this conversation, but you can see I'm moving around. I'm moving my hands. I'm moving. I I don't I don't do stillness very well unless I'm sleeping. 
And, no, the meditative and I, side of what you're talking about, I, I completely get because I get the same thing from the garden mm, or just bobbing uh, around yes. in the sea. And, and they, they're two very repetitive things, but then they each have other qualities which add to that. So each unique, specific thing that, you know, for you running or, or for me garden, there's other things that come in, isn't it? But, but the act of doing it is a kind of meditative act. So for me, it's also the connection with nature, which you probably get when you're running. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked earlier about when you live closer to the sea, for instance, and, mm-hmm. you know, just your feet on the sand. So all of that. And I love as well the, the idea of I feel very small in those contexts because you're interacting with something far, far bigger than yourself. Yes. And that feeling of humility which comes with that, I think, is very ground in. And it does take you out of yourself and thinking that the things in your own mind are important. It's, it's one of the biggest benefits that we get from being in any natural environment is that, that sense of scale that we don't get when we're in a fully built environment that has been built to our scale. Even even walking around Manhattan, I love walking around Manhattan and like the buildings towering over you because it it feels more like walking through mountains in that way. It doesn't have all the other benefits of your feet actually being connected to the earth and clean air and 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 lack of noise pollution, but but that feeling of scale is really key to uh, for me for feeling. Not it, it never made me feel insignificant, it, it, which I know I think it does for some people. I think there I've met people who are very uncomfortable being out in nature, and I've uh, it's something I'd love to dig into more about what what is that feeling that they're feeling that they're interpreting in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable. Because I think it, if they dug deep enough, it would be something they could come through and come out the other side feeling wonderful about. But there's there's I, I also get it because it's I don't know. You know, when you're looking at the sea, the never-endingness of it, or the mountain that that you're underneath, and you can't comprehend the size of it—not just the height, but how much earth is and rock is in inside it—or or in the forest where you're you can't see the sky because the leaves are so dense in the canopy, which I I felt when I was uh, I did this eight-day hike in Japan seven years ago coming up on. And, you know, it's the same walking, walking, repetitive, kind of meditative, physical process, but walking in nature where you can just lose yourself in it. It, it can be intimidating because you, you have to accept that the scale of everything is far bigger than you can ever comprehend. Just like looking up at space, which is something that we, gosh, that's a, that's a topic that you even if we if if we shut off the lights in cities every night so people could just see the stars could see the context of where we were i think it would change humanity and yet you know we we don't do things like that we don't offer ourselves those opportunities and yes it would make you feel small and yes it would be incredibly overwhelming and yes it would be impossible to actually hold on tightly to the opinion that we are the only intelligent life that exists <laughs> um and all of those things could rock the boat for a lot of people but i think that's what we that's what we need it's good for us yeah i i like feeling part of a bigger whole 
which mm-hmm. I often don't feel in a man-made environment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as we said earlier, Dan, we could literally talk all day, right? Now, we've got, say, five minutes left now. And what was your podcast? Well, it was basically an introduction, and we ran out of time. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing, you've got so many different experiences in life, and you've done so many different things, and you're continuing to do so. But uh, everything I've learned and read and experienced, the, the most essential things I think I could probably write on a side of A5. I probably never will because it's such a huge claim, but they'll come out in different versions. I mean, what would you say, we talked about the A-mask earlier and your father instilling that in you, but you know, what, what sort of pearls would you pass on? Well, I think it's important since we talked about that for me to reiterate that, that advice from my father for everyone who's listening. So, uh, if you've ever been on a, on a flight, on a plane, one of the first things in the safety uh, demonstration that they tell you is about the oxygen masks. And, and part of that, that script is that you should put your own mask on before you help anyone else. And my father would use that as a metaphor for anything in life. Uh, whenever, whenever uh, I or my brother would, or anyone in the family would kind of drift away from focusing on ourselves first so that we are in in a position to help others he would he would remind us of that put the mask on yourself before you help others and that was the line and i think that is just a a great piece of advice for anyone all the time because we can remind ourselves of that if we can short circuit the i've got to help other people i've got to help other people loop just enough to go wait have i helped myself first oh yes okay great let me go back it's just uh, that that will be something a mantra that I repeat to myself for the rest of my life. I know it, <laughs> um, and I think there are the other nuggets that I've learned. I mean, my I've always chased and been, been encouraged to chase by my parents the things that I'm passionate about, and there is there is a huge value in that because it's it's not easy anyone who's who's tried even one thing that they're passionate about i mean it's not it's not easy but it's rewarding and the things that we believe about that we believe in rather are worth believing in it doesn't matter if no one else does that they're it's all about what's what's inside us and the the more we avoid those things or put them off or deny them like that's just that's unhealthy it doesn't mean that you have to change your life and become a monk and and or or go you know dedicate your life to to charity if that you know unless that's the thing that you feel and, and believe in but having something in your life that that you do that could be a hobby i think it's why hobbies are so important to people but i think the word hobby is has turned into something that that uh, is synonymous with frivolous in a lot of people's minds, and that's not it. It's the exact opposite. It's something that it's a passion, and some people are lucky enough to to earn a living from their passion. Other people just have a their passion, whether that's art or music. I've I've been very lucky to have music as a part of my life since I was well as a singer since I was twelve, 
And music was always a part of the household growing up. My parents were both music lovers. But being able to perform music, being able to learn music, being I just did two shows this past weekend, and I'm in a, an acapella group with my brother, and we've been singing together for 33 years. It is part of my life, of the fabric of my life. And it brings joy not just to me. If I was just rehearsing, it would be a part a, a, a version of joy, but it's the performing, it's the joy that I that being good at it brings to other people because it elicits emotions in them. That's the that's the thing. And yes, it's great to get applause, but it's not about the applause. It's about when someone comes up afterwards and says, that song here that you sang in your set brought me to tears or made me think of my uh, my late husband or whatever whatever that story is that resonates with them. And that's always been the thread for me as a designer and as a photographer, all of the creative things I do, even as a writer, I want to connect with people. If it's just for me, I've realized a long time ago, I'm not interested. Mm. It's not that I'm not selfish. And I think this is the lesson here that I'm trying to get to as a way of explaining, because I think, again, selfishness and ego, all, there are terms that, that have taken on negative connotation. And they're not negative. You have to have an ego. You have to have confidence in yourself to be able to do everything. Ego in itself is not bad. Having too much of it, being you know egotistical, oh, that tilts the scale. But just like putting the mask on yourself is not selfish, but doing things for yourself has taken on an air of selfishness in society. And and that's not right. We can't. We have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. Taking care of yourself also means doing things you love. Reading a book, not because you'll learn something from it, but because you enjoy it. Fiction, right? fiction as as a category of reading, uh, is also seen often as frivolous when there's so much nonfiction to read and knowledge to gain. But every every fiction book that I've read has that that I've loved has planted a seed of thought in my head of how to be because it's still a human sharing something that's in their brain. And it doesn't matter to me if it's imagined or not. How many things have we built as humans around us that someone first had to imagine <laughs> at, at some point going to the moon and being in space and flying rockets was came from someone's imagination going under the sea in a submarine came from someone's imagination. And then it became real Imagination is our most powerful, powerful tool. I've even taught that in workshops as a designer, that it's, it's all well and good to anchor things in the practical once it has to get out into the world. But uh, I, th I think if I'm going to distill all of this like little rambling answer to you, aside from being like embracing your passions and being okay, not viewing it as being selfish, but being, viewing it as being the exact opposite, uh, the other piece of advice is, is to embrace your imagination it is the most powerful, most unique tool that we have as humans. And it is the tool that has led to, to everything that humans have done and discovered is the ability to, to think it and imagine it and then pull on that thread until we figure out how to do it. Not if, but how. And the more we ignore that side of ourselves, the, 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 the more... Um, or not the more, the, the, the less we thrive. Imagination is where we get to just do anything, where we get to let, let our mind wander or read a book or get lost in a film or listen to music that someone else is playing and, and let, our, let it take us somewhere. 
uh, and uh, and and children do that beautifully. Children do that without any education whatsoever, don't they? That's brilliant, Dan. And I think I think the the the, the child. I mean, <laughs> I've started walking a lot recently. I've started seeing birds again. I used to love birds when I was a kid. Oh. I used to draw them nonstop. <laughs> I'm starting to try to draw silhouettes of seagulls now, mm. which is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you work for Hollister. Um, <laughs> but no, everything you've just said completely resonates. So we've come to a, a conclusion now. So we'll have to do a part two further down the line, right? And a three and four, I think. But um, it's been fab. And, you know, like you said earlier, it was great to have a catch up beforehand. So, Thank you very much for making the time. It's been a real treat. My and pleasure. It always is, sir. No, and keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Well, thank you I'll very much you for uh, having me on. See you very no, soon. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Dan. Cheers. Cheers.